this is Lindy Kaiser. Welcome to this episode of Cleared Cast. Continuous evaluation is rolling out, but what does that mean for the average security clearance holder, industry, or government security officer? David Buckley, Managing Director of KPMG's Federal Practice and a specialist in investigations, forensic applications, and risk mitigation strategies, joins us to discuss continuous evaluation and trusted workforce 2.0. He's a former Inspector General of the Central Intelligence Agency with more than 38 years of experience leading government operations. David is moderating a panel at the upcoming Intelligence and National Security Summit hosted by INSA and AFSIA. The panel is subtitled Balancing Privacy and Security. So David, do you think the government has hit upon the right balance of privacy and security for the approximately 1.3 million individuals currently enrolled in CE? It's really a, uh, it's a tricky question because there's really no attempt to balance privacy and security. In the government's eyes, security is paramount. The whole process of granting a security clearance is based on the need to keep things secret or secure, whether it's the workforce or classified information or systems. And it's really a a process, whether it's the standard first time in applying, you're basically applying and, and signing all sorts of consent forms, consenting for the government to obtain the information directly from you, consenting so that the government can go out and verify or refute that information through an investigative process, and consenting that they retain the records. So as I said, there's really no balance that the government's seeking there. It's literally in the eye of the applicant, you're, you're giving away privacy rights as it pertains to obtaining the clearance that you're applying for. Do you think that's an issue for applicants, though? Do you think that most of them understand that's what they're doing? Or do you sense there is a pushback now that it's, I guess, in the news more, maybe more aware of what that waiver entails? Yes, the government is looking at your credit score. It is looking at your criminal record. And not just one time, but continually it will be looking at those things. Is it an issue or is it a non-issue? No, I think it's an issue for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, we really need to pay attention to, particularly in government, the employee satisfaction surveys. How much do employees actually trust their employer? How much do they enjoy working for that employer? Whether it's a private sector or the government, but in this case, the government, it's the trust in government. It's how much you, how, to what degree do you trust your employer, that amorphous thing? It's basically just people, their processes and technology. And as we've seen with massive data breaches, both in the private sector and in the government space, trust can be eroded and trust is uh, eroded probably every day, particularly in this political environment where you just, you really don't have a good feeling sometimes about where government's going. As it pertains directly to continuous evaluation, you're absolutely correct. It's no longer the once every five years I reapply or every seven years or whatever the periodicity is based on the clearance, reapply for that clearance and and re-sign those consent agreements these consent agreements are probably going to go on for years and years, maybe even lifetime in some cases, where the government will continue to monitor behavior and indicators around behavior in making and maintaining that trust determination and trying to identify risks in the cleared population. So, yeah, it's very much a mm-hmm. moving target, and I think that the government really needs to be paying attention to the mood because you can certainly drive – you don't want to create an insider threat – as you are trying to contain and control the cleared population. When you bring up a good point, the trust in the government, it's interesting that all of this continued evaluation rolled out in the wake of the OPM hack. Security clearance holders probably within the past, 
I can't remember how many years ago it was, you know, we all got the letters saying that, you know, your information was breached and then, oh, by the way, we're now pulling in probably more records and more data about you. Do you think the government has addressed that adequately to say, trust us, it's okay that we're continually looking in and pulling in this this information? You know, in the wake of the data breach and other events, the shooting and and massive data breaches NSA and, and elsewhere. The government has reacted on a couple fronts. The first one I'll mention is this whole initiative around Trusted Workforce 2.0, redefining and validating the characteristics of a trusted person. We'll get into that at the panel. What is that? Moving that data uh, out of OPM and into a DOD-sponsored enterprise, the National Background Investigation Service, and that system that they're creating to hold these records and hopefully better secure them. And the whole backlog issue at the National Background Investigations Bureau, NBIB, which reached a you know, threshold in excess of 740,000 investigations inventory at one time, and that's well below 350,000 now, so great success at NBIB on the background investigation. But moving into a new paradigm, instead of waiting every five years to ask questions, when we've got systems that touch and can access in most cases, meaningful records for at least a substantive portion of the cleared population. Let's do that more often and look for those indicators that might be indicators, might impact my trust determination. Let's identify those things and figure out how we want to react to that information earlier than just asking the applicant every five to seven years or checking the records independently every five, seven years. The, the establishment of the insider threat programs, both in government and in the cleared industry space, pulsing and looking for questionable or concerning behavior activity that needs to be considered earlier, checking available record systems on the outside more often in a regular cadence instead of waiting, I think are all appropriate things to do if you're trying to maintain a trust termination. I guess the jury is going to be out as to how well does this work, what kind of independent assessments have been made on a continuous evaluation model versus the every five to seven years. I mean, intuitively, it seems to make sense that if I can access the right information and I can observe it and handle it earlier, the better off we'll all be, and including the person who apparently or allegedly created the question of behavior to begin with. Why wait five years to find it out? And I also point out that most of the things that the CE record checks are pulsing are things that the applicant is required to notify the government and maybe even an employer of when they occur and not wait five years to fill out that form again. I was at a security meeting this week and I said, what's the deal about continuous evaluation? You know, I mean, this again, these are the kind of things that a person should be reporting. And I had I had some jaded security officers who were, of course, like, well, yeah, but how many people are actually reporting them? And that's where the success of continuous evaluation comes in, because you're not depending on someone to know what they have to self-report and to actually get that information to their security officer. I'm always surprised that there are people in companies that don't even know who their security officer is. Yeah, awareness and education are a big deal. And, and notwithstanding the independent record checks, it's really getting down to the employer and employee and making sure that we bolster the whole security paradigm whether it's inside a company or inside a federal agency, or increasingly state and local agencies with more and more folks post 9-11 getting security clearances. And it's really not just about securing classified information. That's where the, everybody's focused. But the way uh, Office of the Director of OPM and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence 
the suitability and security executives are addressing this trusted workforce 2.0, it's also looking at the suitability of the workforce as well. So I think it's going to take several years for this to roll out and to work through all the wrinkles. But I think the, we're at least destined, if we can stay on track, for a much more competent system than we've had for the last 60 years. And so could you speak maybe a little bit to kind of the status of continuous evaluation today? So we know that we're in a good place. What I've heard from a lot of people is that a big part of the system is tweaking the algorithm, so to speak. So making sure that it's flagging what it needs to flag and ignoring what it doesn't. Will we always be tweaking, perhaps? Or do you think that we're kind of at a stage still where we're trying to marry what the AI is bringing in with the people process of doing the legwork of an investigation? I don't know where we are today. I mean, I, I hear the stories that things are are getting better, looking better than they did several years ago when they first started trying to leverage the data earlier and faster. I think that's a question that we'll cover at the symposium. We've got a great panel of, of insiders, basically, at the symposium, that these are the kinds of questions we really want to explore. I heard early on that there was so much data that was being returned that you had, I'm going to say, hundreds of analysts that were working on, you know, from a manual standpoint, trying to decide what are the next steps. And, of course, that's understandable at the beginning of the program. Uh, but as you point out, you got to tweak those algorithms or even the data sets that you're pulsing and trying to understand, you got to refine that so that you're not drowning in noise and you're actually focused on the things you need to focus on to make those determinations. And of course, I think the jury's out on that and the jury's also out on at what point does a, do I get enough from a CE or even self-disclosure where I need to actually run a new investigation and engage in some field work and not just rely on data that a, a system is reporting and understanding. We're going to be looking at this for quite some time and refining the process. Other data sets will come online. New understandings and behavior will, will, I'm sure, be uncovered. And one of the things that we want to cover at the panel as well uh, with the DNI representative regarding privacy and civil liberties is what's the machine actually doing and how do we make sure the machine is, as the machine is learning and engaging in machine learning, not creating a new bias? And I can guarantee you're going to hear that question out of me when we're talking about how do you police the machine. Anecdotally, that's kind of come up for me because if you see what the VROC is releasing as far as their slide decks of what is being flagged in continuous evaluation, I think last year what, there were a, over 150 cases of elite agents to the United States being flagged as an adjudicative criteria somehow through continuous evaluation. So if you can get somebody to say what it's flagging there, because that's always interesting to me, we've never had a case that we've come across on clearance jobs where someone's been denied clearance due to allegiance for the United States. It's a pretty significant charge advocating for treason, et cetera. But there is something that somehow, again, like you say, tweaking the algorithm that it's finding. So I always say, watch what you tweet or post <laughs> or post on social media, or you might get an interesting call from your security officer. Because again, I know I'm not entirely sure that it's pulling in social media postings right now, but something is being pulled that's flagging that. And whether that's actually resulting in investigations now, it's triggering the system. And that directly relates back to those freedom of speech, privacy kind of issues. Well, yeah, it certainly could. And it could also, and I don't, first of all, I don't know what is causing those flags, but it could be foreign ownership of control, foreign bank account familial relationships may not question your allegiance, but might be an indicator they want to ask those questions of you. I've seen folks that have had dual citizenship and the government really sort of hones in on you know, which country are you really going to be allegiant to if mm -hmm. you've got 
you know, you're a citizen of both countries. We've seen that a couple times where we've got espionage cases where it's not about the money. It's more about an ideology or preference to another country trying to help mm-hmm. them out. So we've seen I, continuous evaluation rolled out kind of over the past three years or, or so, but I hear rumbling still, especially by some of the three-letter agencies. They're not necessarily comfortable accepting a candidate who's been under continuous evaluation. And it kind of ties into that whole trust of workforce 2.0 suitability aspect and trying to get the whole of government under the same umbrella, which is a little bit of what ODNI does. As someone whose background and experience in the intelligence community, do you think they'll accept CE? Do you see this as something that they'll get on board with, or will there always be kind of the desire for more of a periodic paper reinvestigation? Anytime you've got something new, obviously it's going to take, people want to experience. They want to understand whether this is better or is it the same? Are there trade-offs? And particularly in the the security arena, security professionals are hell-bent to what? To secure to secure people, process technology, data. That's what they get paid to do. So they've all, they're always looking at that lens from a vulnerability and consequence perspective. They want to make sure that they've got enough information to maintain that trust determination. I think once the system has been proven to get you over that threshold and keep you in that trust determination, uh, you'll see more and more acceptance, specifically from a reciprocity standpoint. I think that's what we're talking about here. You've got you know, it's good enough for me, but it may not be good enough for the agency down the street. We're going to have to get over that hurdle. And I, I think you're going to be seeing some new policy driven either out of the ODNI or even in statute, which would be interesting because security is really an executive prerogative, driving us toward making sure that once the standard is met, is accepted by all. And of course, once you get up into specialized categories, either in SCI, certainly in the special access programs, or in the in a law enforcement context where there are some additional standards that are absolutely understood by most people. But I think when you're, when you're talking collateral clearances, secret and top secret, I don't think we'll, we'll have a problem with adoption. As long as the data is trustworthy and competent and complete, you're on a level playing field. And right now, you know, for some of these data sets, it is. And for some of the data sets, it's not. Uh, there are like 18,000 police departments across the United States. Many of them not, are not online. So I can commit a crime in one county in the United States that's not going to be in a computer system. It's going to be on a paper file in some clerk's office. And in, in the exact same offense in Fairfax County, it's not only going to be in a state-run system. It's also going to be uh, in a federal database. So there are some holes where you don't have consistent coverage. I think as as those gaps are closed or at least understood, We're always going to have to drive out to XYZ County and check the records. But for the rest, we're going to rely on the data sets. As long as you've got those boxes covered from some kind of data acquisition strategy, then I think you get that level playing field and reciprocity between the agencies should increase. But again, it's human nature and human judgment. We'll see how strong the policy and policy enforcement uh, comes out of the ODNI. I'll put it back then to Trusted Workforce 2.0 for my last question, because I did, you did touch on that, and that is something that we've talked about, you know, a lot here at Clearance Jobs, and it was something that six, eight months ago, um, I know that ODNI was kind of talking about how, you know, they were moving forward that, and it happens a lot with initiatives like this, and now we haven't heard anything about it in the past six months. Mm-hmm. So can mm-hmm. you speak to, we know that that's the initiative, we know that's where ODNI is heading, we know that that CE is a part of this in terms of creating a trusted worker and how we evaluate someone's trustworthiness. 
you touch on Trusted Workforce 2.0 and how continuous evaluation plays a role in that? And I, it's another uh, topic that we'll sort of peel the onion back on during the panel. The initiative around Trusted Workforce 2.0, which the DNI and the Director of OPM have been driving security and suitability, really strikes to redefine what a, the characteristics of a trusted person are and then what information is necessary and available to gather to make those trust determinations and then maintain them. You're right, we haven't heard a lot in the past several months, and quite frankly, there I'm sort of guessing there might be a little interruption here with a vacancy over at ODNI. But Bill Evanina and his shop at the National Counterintelligence Security Center and a series of work groups continue to work on that issue and try and refining it along with the PAC PMO. I know that they've been drafting decision documents. I've not seen any of them, but I've heard that the, the drafting's complete on several layers of a, of a rollout. And absent some unforeseen circumstance, I think they're still on track to issue something around the new standards very soon. At least that's the internal government rumblings that I'm hearing. It reminds me a little bit of when we were talking about the transfer of background investigations to MBIB, where we're from MBIB to DOD, I guess, saying OPM to DOD. I'm screwing up all my acronyms here. There was a lot about it in the beginning. And again, trusted workforce is definitely more of a wonkish issue than the OPM to DOD transfer was a lot more political. But you're always curious what's actually happening here. Lenny, here's what I will say about that. The devil's in the details. And so when you've got broad policy pronouncements at the very top. I'm not saying those are easy, but they're setting a direction and they're energizing workforce towards a goal. And sometimes, almost always, when you're shooting for a target, you've got to aim high and over because that target keeps moving further and further out. Government does not move generally at the speed that people want it to move, and that includes people inside government as well. So there are a lot of great goals that have been set around Trusted Workforce 2.0, and I think what we're seeing here is a lot of government inertia, which sometimes is fine, trying to get this thing right before it gets rolled out. The last thing you want to do is roll out a major enterprise only to find out you increase risk instead of better mitigating it. This is Lindy Kaiser, Senior Editor of ClearanceJobs.com. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Cleared Cast. For more security clearance news and defense industry information, please visit news.clearancejobs.com.